Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. You want me to say it like that, right? Okay. That's right. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, saith this. Oh, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will, a, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each one according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. There is something greater than the world has to offer. That's your soul. It's, it's something that we do not want to take lightly. We do not want to throw it away. We do not want to disregard it. We want to hold on to that. And Jesus says, you hold on to that best by letting it go. And that doesn't make any sense, does it? But what Jesus says is that you give it to me. That's how you hold on to your soul. You give your soul to Jesus. You lose your soul by – because I guess in some sense we're giving our soul to something all the time, aren't we? We're always seeking to just give ourselves to something. Jesus just says, if you give it to something else other than me, you're going to lose it. There's nothing worth losing it over. And so we're going to talk about carrying our cross, and we're going to talk about uh, being good stewards. And tonight's topic – I don't know if it will be the last time we talk about this topic, but tonight's topic um, will be the last in our stewardship series. Um, we'll continue to talk about discipleship. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to talk about baptism. Because we're going to get ready for baptisms in uh, hopefully in July this year. Last year we did them in August, and I think it was like 60 degrees. And Justin and I almost got hypothermia. And so we've decided to try to be a little more proactive this year and do it in July. Uh, we'll talk about baptism. Um, and we'll just talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You know, once you become a Christian, you have to find out well, what, do, what do Christians do. And sometimes you look at other Christians and you find out, oh, they're a really good, bad example. But I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. And so that's kind of what we're, we're talking about. So this week, we, we've, or I should say in previous weeks, we've talked about uh, stewarding the gospel and good stewards of the gospel. Uh, stewarding life that God has given us. Um, stewarding the possessions that we have, just stuff that we have. We, we in our culture, in our day, and in our age have more stuff. Then we know what to do with. We we rent storage units to store our stuff. We put our fifty thousand dollar cars in the driveway so we can protect our junky stuff in the garage. We have lots of stuff. How do we steward that? Um, money. We spent a lot of time on money because I'm saying I'm not gonna make that joke anymore about the jet. Uh, we, we if you don't know what that means, then you're probably okay. Um, saving. Uh, how do we steward money well? Do we give it all away do we hoard it do we uh you know when should we give it away who should we give it to um how do we do so uh joyfully we talked about all that stuff last week we talked about our spouses husbands and wives and how ultimately husbands and wives reveal the church it reveals god's relationship between his son and the church and we're going to find uh, or you're going to find that over the next a few weeks, and as we preach about anything here, everything's about Jesus. Our relationships with each other, they're, they have greater purpose than just being friends with one another. They, they are meant to reflect Jesus. 
And so tonight, the last topic of our stewardship is the same thing, and we're going to talk about kids and children. I love kids. Kids are awesome. I love playing with kids, wrestling with kids, showing kids how to do fun things that maybe their parents wouldn't want them to do, that borderline dangerous. I remember when my, my brother, he was, um, I think he was 12, and he was learning how to skateboard. And, uh, you know, he, he saved up all his money, brought a really nice skateboard, new wheels and trucks and all kinds of stuff. And we were at the church. This was in California. And um, he, there was this little curb. It was maybe five inches off the ground. And I said, hey, why don't you jump off that? And he said, all right. And he jumped and he broke his wrist. And uh, I remember him just being so panicked because it hurt, number one. But I'm like, man, this is – ne I've never broken a bone. And just seeing his face and his reaction, I'm like, oh, man, something's wrong. So we went to the emergency room, and um, you know, to this day, if Tony hadn't asked him to jump, he probably would have done it on his own. But I did play a part in that. It's just fun. Kids are amazing. And so often, even in our Western American culture, kids are just brushed aside. And we assume – that if we just brush them aside, that they'll grow up one day and become the right kind of people. It makes no sense in any other avenue. You can't do that with a business. You can't do that with gardening. You can't do that with cooking. But we think that with children, if they would just, you know, get, just go over there and do nothing for a long time, and then they'll be the kind of people we want them to be. It makes absolutely no sense. And so what we want to do is we want to follow what the Bible says about kids. The Bible has a lot to say about children. We're going to open with a word of prayer, or actually I should say we're going to continue with the word of prayer since I've opened and began preaching already. Um, and then we're going to read a, just a few scriptures, some of my favorite scriptures uh, in regards to children. Jesus, we love you. And above all things, whether we're talking about kids or spouses or our money or our stuff or the gospel or our life, Lord, we seek to glorify you and you alone, that Jesus would be high and lifted up. I thank you, Lord, that it's not all up to us. Tonight, it's not all riding on my shoulders if I, if I preach this correctly. I know if I just tell people that, that Jesus is alive, he loves his people, he's died for our sins, he's sought to reconcile us by paying a price that we couldn't pay, that he lives today having conquered sin and death, uh, so that we may be with him forever, Lord. I know that that's enough for your Holy Spirit to, to do something miraculous tonight. But I pray, Lord, that even more than that would happen, that you would impart to, to us your wisdom and your truth. We give you the praise tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. So, turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And I'll, and I'll set the stage a little bit as you get there. Jesus is basically preaching and teaching, as he was known to do, going from place to place, town to town. Um, and like most people, the parents got this idea. If Jesus blesses my child, that's something special. Like, can you imagine at this point growing up knowing that, you know, when you were a kid, Jesus prayed for you or Jesus, Jesus you sat on Jesus' lap? I mean, you would you would kind of have something to brag about, wouldn't you? I mean, I remember uh, being a kid and, and meeting uh, a celebrity by the name of Robin Ventura. Anybody know who Robin Ventura is? No, nobody knows who that is. I do though. He was uh, he played for the Chicago White Sox 
uh, when I was a kid, and he was from my hometown. So he wasn't just a celebrity that was far away. He was a celebrity that went to the same schools I went to and shopped at the same places I shopped at. And um, eventually he came back to Santa Maria and signed autographs. It was, it was great until I found that all my friends got the same exact autograph. It wasn't anything to brag about anymore. That's minimal. You guys even know who that was. But imagine if it was Jesus. I mean, we'd all just clamor and talk to the one person. You sat on Jesus' lap. Yep, I was five years old, and my parents took me, and he was really nice, and, and he let me sit on his lap, and he was awesome. That's sort of the situation. Well, the parents are bringing the kids, and the, and the disciples, who are kind of like Jesus' entourage in this story, are like, no, children aren't permitted. And they start shooing away the parents and the kids. Well, Jesus doesn't like that. So verse 13 says, and, and when they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs, uh, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. I cannot read this passage of scripture and walk away with Jesus not liking kids. I get the impression that Jesus loved kids. And I get the impression that the kids loved Jesus. Most cultures, both, both ancient and modern, neglect children. They're second rate. Now, we're, children probably have it a little better here in our country than in some places, but in, in, in many cultures around the world, children are nothing. Till they're old enough to earn money, till they're old enough to work, till they're old enough to be sold, till they're old enough to, to go away and make something of themselves, they're of very little value. But the Bible teaches us something entirely different, the exact opposite of that, that Jesus loves children and that we as the church must foster an environment that allows for children to grow in Jesus. You might be thinking, I don't have kids. That's okay, because if you come to this church, you have a direct influence over children, whether you know it or not. The way you act and the way that you show Jesus on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, we don't usually have kids here, but on a Sunday morning, they see you. What they think about Jesus will be directly affected by how you conduct yourself in the name of Jesus. So if you are super nice and loving and caring and warm, they're going to see Jesus in that. But if you're not, they're going to have a hard time reconciling nice Jesus and bad Christians or, or mean Christians. So you may not have children uh, biologically, but you have a direct influence over kids here, and you probably do in your personal life or in your familial life. Jesus is not intimidated by children. You know, we, we have taken a unique approach to kids here at the chapel. I don't know if any other church has ever done this where we have sort of this off-to-the-side area where kids, and, and when I say kids, I mean toddlers, one and two years old, who are kind of toddling around and crawling, and the moms can come over, or, and dads too, it doesn't just have to be moms, come over and can kind of let them just kind of go in circles while, while I preach and the moms get to listen a little bit. Um... I'm not scared. I'm not afraid of them making noises or crying. You know why? Because that's what babies do. 
that's what they do. And I would much rather have these kids grow up familiar with the sanctuary of God being a place where they're not judged or rebuked or um, uh, for simply being a child. Now you see a kid running by, almost knocking somebody over, spilling their fruit punch all over the place. Then by all means, you know, you can go to their parents and let them know what's happening. Sometimes parents get overwhelmed. Parents, do you agree with me? Sometimes you get overwhelmed. Kids do something. You didn't really see them do it. And you don't want to see somebody else rebuking your child, but certainly you'd like to be, be told and like to know that it's happening so that you can be on top of that. But, but being rebuked for just being a child isn't necessarily the most beneficial thing. And you don't see that happening with Jesus. He welcomes them in. They sit on his lap. They, he hugs them. They, I just imagine them. This is me, my imagination. High fives. and I don't even know if they did high fives back then. But high fives and, 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 and playing and having fun. And, and the disciples are the ones that get – they're the ones who get rebuked. The ones who are like, no, you can't come to Jesus. He's too important. He's too busy for the likes of you guys. Jesus is like, no, no. It says that Jesus got indignant. Jesus wasn't happy. He's not intimidated or put off by children and the behavior of children. He doesn't neglect children. That means that when a child comes to me or comes to you and asks for prayer, um, there are no prayers that they have that are, that are unimportant to the Lord. My children, and they're, they're really the only children I pray with, so they're kind of my example. Sometimes they ask me to pray for things that just, to you and I, might seem silly. But to them, they're not. To them, it's very important that, you know, they get to the next level on their video game or, or that their dog feels better or that, you know, they get to go to, to the mall tomorrow and, and just hang out with mom and dad. And sometimes through those prayers, what they've learned to do is pray for much more important things. Sometimes they mention some of you by name. Like, why well, do you even know you knew those people? Well, yeah, I heard that, you know, that so-and-so was sick and I want to pray for him. All right, let's pray. Let's do it then. Let's pray. Jesus doesn't neglect children. We shouldn't neglect children. They are not unimportant. One day we will die and they will be the leaders of the church. And if we have neglected them, all we've done is created a culture that neglects people. And it will and can God use that in, in miraculous ways and change it? Absolutely. He has to do that all the time. But we have a part in a place now where we can affect change later. Jesus doesn't consider them less or second. Can you imagine the, the, the adults in this scenario watching Jesus take these children in and he and they think they're trying to protect Jesus and Jesus is like, you guys are being just jerks. Let them come to me. Imagine how they had to have felt like, oh man, I really messed that one up. Imagine they probably had some pride rise up or maybe their flesh kind of like, who does he think he is? Son of man, but I, you know, I grumble, grumble, grumble. Jesus doesn't consider them less or second or any less necessary. He loves them as he loved the adults as well. If he didn't love the disciples, he wouldn't have rebuked them. He wouldn't have cared. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have taken the time to use this moment as a teaching moment. You go through the Bible, you find Jesus doesn't just use the good times to teach something. You know, the wedding at Cana. He doesn't use the parties and the reveling. Nobody, or not reveling, I'm sorry, but he doesn't use the parties and the, and the prosperity. He uses these opportunities where the disciples fail and teaches them something. When, when, when James and John are vying for the right and the left hand, Jesus doesn't just rebuke them. 
he, he teaches them. He uses that moment to teach them. He'll do that with us as well. Some of our greatest failures, he'll teach us through those things. Even when those failures were, were prideful and arrogant, and we just we made the wrong decisions based on our flesh, Jesus will still teach us through those things. So now turn to Psalm 127. Psalm 27 is one of my uh, all-time favorite verses, so much so that I physically scarred my body uh, with, this, with this verse. Um, I'll explain that in just a second. So Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, say this. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruits of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. And so I mentioned I have this tattoo here of a, of a quiver with three arrows, one for each of uh, my children. Kind of a, a reference to, to Psalm 127. Going back to considering Jesus, or excuse me, considering children less than adults. The Bible tells us that children are a reward. And I don't want to, I want to take this very lightly. I know there are people who have who have lost children, miscarriages and stillborn and that sort of thing. Um and it doesn't mean that you're not being rewarded, but what I'm saying is that for those who have been given children, often we see them as a hindrance. We see them as somebody who stands between us and what we want. I want this, but I have kids, so I can't have that. And the Bible says, no, those children aren't a roadblock. Those children are a reward. They're a heritage. They are a gift from God directly to you. I remember there was a, a time in, in my life with my wife where we couldn't have children. It was tough. You walk down the street, and, 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 or you drive down the street, and you see folks that um and you try not to judge but you see them it's it's 30 degrees out their children aren't wearing the right clothing you, you see them drinking fruit punch out of a baby bottle and you just imagine their teeth rotting out of their head you see them they're not wearing shoes or their feet are black because who knows where they've been running they're, they're dirty and, and then you see the mom or the dad or the couple or whoever just neglecting them you know hitting them saying foul language to them rebuking them because they're just being a kid you know why do you keep bothering me because i'm hungry and i'm two and i can't make my own food like you're the adult here and you just you think to yourself why do they have children and i do not it's tough you you get judgmental you really do jesus said that or i should say that the bible says or jesus says through the bible that children are more than just a result of, of of a man and a woman, you know, having sex and then producing a baby. That they're that they're something to be held onto and cherished. You know, a child is a beautiful thing, a, a responsibility, sure, but man, kids are the best, and it's indicative of of the Lord giving you something. Now, now some people end up barren; they just do. And I don't know why, you know, they go their whole lives. And you see the Lord giving them spiritual children. That's one thing that He might do. You see them. You see the Lord uh, using that hunger for children to work in children's ministries and that sort of thing. Um, but I know this: that if we are on the opposite side of that fence, 
where we have children, we have to begin looking at them a little bit differently. It is very hard to be selfish and a parent at the same time. Um, that's where I, that's where I find for myself I find a lot of conflict. It, it, I, oh, I'm so frustrated. Why? Because I want to do something, and it's time to do something for them. And I have to remember this verse. God has given me something that there are many people who who long for that relationship. They'll never go. They'll they'll go the whole lives without ever knowing what it's like to hold their own child. And here I am neglecting and refusing and 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 being being selfish. And so you've got to go back and realize what God has done. Now, this doesn't mean that we worship kids. And some folks kind of go the wrong way. They go from, from neglecting their child to worshiping their child. Now, all of a sudden, the child can do no wrong. Now, now the child must be high and lifted up. And that's just as wrong as neglecting them. You're setting them up for a lifetime of disappointment because they're going to go into the world and they're not going to find people who have them high and lifted up. They're going to find out real quick that they've got to earn a living and they've got to earn, you know, they, 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 they have to live differently than they've been treated. And you find parents who have to learn um, that you know, it's, not, it's not their children that are to be worshipped, it's Jesus that's supposed to be worshipped. And it can be a fine line. We've got to be really careful that we don't worship our children. We don't worship anybody but Jesus. We don't worship our spouses. I mean, it sounds simple when you say it like that, but sometimes when, when what they want and what they need comes before what should be done, maybe we have a false idol in our lives. The Bible is clear that, that the way we treat children is indicative of how we view God. If we don't see the Lord as our Savior, if we don't see Him as, you know, see Jesus as our God, we tend to neglect the very gifts that He gives us. The last verse I want to go over is Matthew chapter 18. Let's turn there. Matthew chapter 18. So you find this several times throughout the, the Gospels especially. The disciples are always looking for position. You know, they're always looking for more power. They want to have, you know, if you take the 12 disciples, there's always a couple that just want to be more in charge than the others. Sure, Jesus, you're the son of man, you're the number one, but who's number two and who's number three? You know, where do I line up on the totem pole? Am I number 12? Or if I am, can I be number two? Can I be number three? Can I be up higher than, you know, can I be in the top half rather than the bottom half? And so here in chapter 18, verse 1, it's that's kind of a scenario. It says, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child... He put him in the midst of them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. How many of you have ever seen a millstone? Most of you have, because a lot of people in this area use them as lawn decorations. Um, I didn't know what they were the first time. I've lived here twice, two different times. The first time, I didn't know what they were. Went back to California, noticed nobody had them in the town that I lived in, found out they were millstones, and then I started seeing them everywhere. And I don't know why people do that. Teach their own. 
But my understanding of a millstone is that it was used to grind, uh, to grind down things like wheat and flour to take the chaff from the from the actual grain and and all of that. And it was this big, heavy stone. And and there, you know, you have little ones, but there are these big ones. They're like the industrial uh, millstones. Jesus says those are the ones that that if you cause a little one to sin, it'd be better for you if you just went and stuck the millstone around your neck and just jumped in the ocean. Once again, this this shows me that Jesus holds children in high regard. Probably because children are generally defenseless. I mean, some kids are nuts, don't get me wrong. Like, they don't need a weapon and they're going to be dangerous, right? But most kids, generally speaking, are vulnerable to attack. They're vulnerable to predators. They're vulnerable to those who would seek to abuse them. And Jesus takes a, a little one into their midst. These, the question was, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus doesn't say the child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He says, look at this kid. Look at this little child, probably just a toddler. Just look at this, look at this child right now. See how he interacts with me? You know, remember how he 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 said basically the same thing when the children were coming to him. See how him and I interact? See how he comes to me in joy and in love? See how he comes to me in a sort of reverence that's played out in a childlike faith? This is how you enter the kingdom of heaven. Before you ever worry about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, let's worry about, about those who get there. It's those who in humble submission to Jesus, those are the ones that get there through faith in Christ. And the same faith that a child exercises with, with his parents, his first authorities. You know, my kids submit to my authority. There's going to come a day and age where they challenge that. I'm okay with that. I understand how that works. That's life. But right now, for the most part, because I'm their father, they trust me and they believe me. To the point where at this point I, I have – maybe I've, I've abused this uh, privilege, but you know, my children will ask things well, like why were paintings – or excuse me, why was television in black and white and then all of a sudden it was in color? Like because they've got Netflix and they can see stuff that was black and white. So I tell I – it's an opportunity to tell a story. Well, everything was black and white back then. And then all of a sudden, in 1965, everything became color. And, and, and that's – well, what about paintings? Well, they changed at the same time. They changed with everything else. And I've done that so many times, and generally I – no, I'm just kidding. It's just technology. But I've done that so much now that when I do tell the truth – is that true, Dad? Are you sure? Is that, is that really true? Nuh-uh. Like, no, really, the earth revolves around the sun. Are you sure? Like, that's the truth, son or daughter, whoever's asking at the time. They have such a faith that it's 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 an innocence. It's a it's a dad spoken. It must be true. Mom spoken. It must be true. That's the kind of faith that God has called us to. The Bible has said that this is what God has done. This is what He has promised. We operate within that promise. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Our emotions are going to lie to us and tell us that he, that that Jesus will leave us and forsake us. That we feel left and forsaken. But Jesus tells us and reminds us, and throughout the whole Bible, to remember the promises of God, that he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And that, that promise transcends. It's bigger than our emotions. God doesn't hear me. Well, the Bible tells me that, that his ear 
is turn to us, that he hears us, even when we think he's not listening, even when we think that, that he's far and distant. It says, the, it says in the book of Romans that even when we're, we don't even know what to pray. Ever just had like, you don't even know what to pray? Like the whole world is falling apart and I don't even know what to pray, Lord. Fix, fix the situation? Like I don't even know. Heal them? Give them money? Like I don't know what to be we pray. Romans chapter 8, I believe it is, maybe it's chapter 7, says that the Holy Spirit takes those utterings and those moanings and, and translates them to God. It's not even about saying the right words. You can come to the Lord and just be like, ah, this hurts. And, and, and the Holy Spirit takes that and says, God, God the Father, Tony is not having a fun time right now. Um, he, would, he wishes that things were different. He translates those those moanings, those 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 cries out to him. It's not even about what words we say. And, he's, and Jesus says, "This is this is who he's seeking: people who will come to him like that." We're going through the book of Habakkuk right now, and we see we see Habakkuk kind of coming in that same way. He's coming with big questions. He's asking God really hard questions, but he's coming coming. Excuse me. He's coming in reverence. He's not like, who are you, God, to do any of these things? He's, you know, all those other people, they're living, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's saying, God, you're the almighty God, but I see this happening. And, man, what in the world? How do I make, how do I reconcile this, Lord? How do I reconcile when I see bad things happening to good people and, and good things happening to bad people? And then God answers and says things like, well, you know, those people are going to be judged too. And, just because they look like they're having a good time now doesn't mean things turn out okay for them. What does it cost to steward a child well? Here's, here's to me what I think is the biggest cost of stewarding a child. It takes time. Kids, they grow like my son's gonna be eight in like a week. My daughter's gonna be five this week. It's blowing my mind. I'm getting older. The other day, I just had this real weird thought. You know, I was listening to a song. It was 20 years old. And I thought, holy moly, I still have 16 years on top of that, 17 in August. Like, I'm getting old, and my kids are getting old, and wow. But what I realized is, is as slow as time, or excuse me, as fast as time is going, it's also very slow. You ever try to teach a kid something? My gosh. I mean, we could, at some point, you're like, we're watching, washing the dishes. It's like, I could have been done a half hour ago. Or, or you're doing yard work, or you're, or you're trying to do a craft, or you're trying to do schoolwork. Or it's like, man, I, I could just do this and be done. Because the adult mind is all about efficiency and getting things done faster and better and doing them the right way the first time so that we can go and sit on the couch and watch Jeopardy or something. Like we can just be done with this work. And the kids are just learning and experiencing and dropping everything and, and breaking dishes and just like having the time of their lives. If, if it's going to cost you anything when it comes to stewarding a child well, it's going to take your time. At some point, you got to step back and say, you know what? There are things that I want, but this right here is the greatest thing I could be doing. Because the reward is this, a legacy that outlives you. Someday you will pass. Someday I will pass, and my children will be left behind. And the only thing that will live beyond my, my physical body is what I instill in them. And I will either instill in them a very bad negative image of what a dad looks like, 
or I will just do my best and I will die trying to show them what a good dad looks like. I will, I will repent to them. You know how I often have to repent to my kids? It's the worst. Like, they're always so forgiving. They, they, when they learn how to lord that over me, they're going to have all the power. But right now, they're just so forgiving. But it's like, man, I, re, I have to tell me I reacted to you out of fear right then. I was short with you because I was afraid in that moment. You know, I, I saw you push your sister. I thought she was going to bang her head, so I freaked out. Or, or, or you were, and I share this with you often, you were out of my line of sight, and I couldn't see you. And I thought that all of a sudden you were being sold to a gypsy somewhere in the Middle East. Like in a fraction of a second, you went from by my side to being in a cage somewhere in, 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 in Iraq. And I freaked out a little bit. Daddy kind of lost his mind, and so he yelled in the middle of Walmart. So I'm very sorry for that. I'm sorry that I reacted that way, and, and you didn't even know what you were doing. Now let me chain you up to my belt chain, and I will, I will that's how I will keep hold of you. Or we'll just fuse our hands together, and when you get married someday, we'll get that surgically taken care of. And so you have to repent, you know, and that's just, that's one of the easier ones, you know, when you, when you get after them, when they didn't really do anything, they were just demanding your time and you wanted to do something else. That's hard. You know, kids just want your time. The cost is your time, but the reward is the legacy that one day your kids grew up and they aren't jerks. Number one, but number two, they love Jesus. I believe it's Proverbs 22 says that. Oh, look, I put it down in my notes. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Number one, we got to go there first. We can't just train up a child in something that we operate in in theory. You can't tell a child to love others as you love yourself when you hate yourself, when you, when you despise yourself and you despise other people. I mean, you can. It's just not going to go over really well. You can't tell them to love Jesus when, when you yourself are serving false idols. You can't tell them that, that church is good and never take them. You can't tell them that, that the Bible is, is, is life and, and God's word for us and then never read it. You know, dads, it's, it's our responsibility first to teach our children about the word of God. As a pastor, I have kind of this double duty, but, you know, I got to teach the kids on Sunday. I was in there for like 45 minutes. You can't get anything done in 45 minutes. You can't do anything that's going to – you can't expect you know, myself or my wife or Justin or Kristen to, to completely radically change your kids in just 45 minutes. They might give you a good start, but man, you got to finish. you got to make sure that, that what started here at church continues and is even more lasting at home. And you can't you can't do one thing – and expect them to do another. What do we call that? A little bit louder. Hypocrisy. hypocrisy. Not hip-hop-cracy. Hypocrisy. Yes, to expect one thing while doing another. And we're all hypocrites to some degree. Let's not all get depressed. But the truth is we can't expect something from them without ourselves doing it. We can't expect to train up a child if we ourselves are not being trained up and discipled so legacy that will outlast us and that's a great honor and that's a great privilege 
to be able to say that there are humans on this earth who are the way that they are, and God let us be used in that way to help bring them up. That they love Jesus because of the sacrifice we made for them and teaching them about Jesus. That we took time to sit down with them and to teach them that when we went to church, we showed them what, we showed them what it meant to love and to serve other people. We, didn't just, we weren't just the people who came in and were put off by the fact that they were so loud. We were the ones that came in and said hi to them and asked them about Pokemon or whatever they're into nowadays. I don't even know anymore. Legos. I know my kids are into Legos. They're, they're going to remember those people who loved them and didn't consider them an afterthought to church. They're as vital to this church as anybody else. And we treat them that way. And ultimately, Jesus says, they're an example of the kingdom of God and how it operates. For all the surrounding cultures, even the cultures Jesus was just in, as he speaks this, they were disregarding kids, neglecting them. And Jesus says, no, no, bring them in. The way we steward children well is by going before them, being trained up ourselves that we might train them as well. And that can be our own children. That can be the children that we are aunts and uncles to, grandparents to. Maybe you come to this church and you see the kids and you, and you do things like, not to put anybody on the spot, but like a few weeks ago or a few months ago now, Laura brought a popcorn machine. I'm sure the kids loved that. I know I did, even though I didn't get any. Hint, hint. Trying to be subtle here. <laughs> but things like that, you know? People who, uh, like Vi, who bring out snacks on a Sunday morning. Do you know how many times my kids come to me, Dad, can I just have one more of the snacks that Vi put out? That's, that's the things they're going to remember. People who pray for them, people who, who, who didn't see them as a burden, saw them as a gift. Didn't worship them, but didn't throw them under the bus either. And so children are a great uh, litmus test. How are you treating kids? What do you think about children? How do you view them? Are they a hindrance? No, I get it. On a Sunday morning when you're all trying to be up in the spirit and stuff like that and the kid just screeches out of nowhere because somebody took their toy, I get it. It kind of quenches a moment. I get that. Um, but at the same time, how are we serving them so that they can stay from those moments like that? How are we helping them? Because I guarantee you when that happens, the parents are mortified. I mean, you would be if you had kids and that happened. You're just like, oh my gosh, not again. And you're trying to talk through your teeth and you need to be quiet right now. People are looking at you. How can we serve those parents? Because I have to imagine at some point, at some point parents are going to say, you know what? I can struggle with my kid for two hours at church in front of everybody, or I can do it at home in my pajamas while I watch TV. One of those is going to look more attractive than the other, isn't it? The fight is going to be too much. So how can we serve these parents and help them? Maybe it's just a thoughtful reminder that, man, it's so great that your family's in this church. When I see your kids and I imagine them being raised up in this place, it just warms my heart. You know, for you, for you um, more seasoned individuals, the old people is what I mean. Just call it what it is. 
that's part of your job and your gift for the next generation to to encourage these younger parents that man you're bringing your kids to church they are learning about Jesus you yourself are being trained up so that you can train them up what a great thing man do you can I get you some coffee or a cup of water or something like can I do something for you because I know that you're just having a hard time but I want to help you I, I guarantee you know just I've never really had anybody do this to me but imagine that would go a lot further than the nasty look like shut you up with my eyes type of thing that's kid squeals one more time I'm gonna keep making this face type of a thing like that's all you got or or the little comments and things like that you just encourage them flash them a smile man and then tell them later man I was there whoo I had you know twice as many kids and half of them weren't even mine and they were just crazy and I'd felt like that too man now they're doing this or now they're doing that and man I, I'm with you that goes a long way that's relationship that's community that's love that's life that's good stuff but you don't get there in leaps we're gonna get there in tiny steps so I want to pray with you I want us to see kids as not as little tiny idols that you know they're to be worshipped, that drool, but to see them as God sees them. Images of what the kingdom of God is like. Their reaction to their moms and dads is the reaction that God's going for, how we see him. That's hard if we had a bad dad, right, or a bad mom. It's not really easy to kind of adapt to that. But we can find somebody who has that and see, okay, that's what that's like. Rather than putting my daddy wounds on on God, I'll look at people who are getting it right and are doing the best they can and say, that that's how I'm supposed to go to God. Childlike faith, reverence and respect, and just, just this love that is vulnerable. And that's not our strong suit, and that's why the, the Lord is changing us. Let's pray. Jesus, we can learn a lot from children, and I do. I, I've learned more about your gospel through my children than... Any Bible study, any sermon, any book, like I just watch how my kids operate and how they see the world, and I get glimpses into how you want me and my wife and our church to operate. They're not perfect. They make mistakes. But the way that they, they view authority, the way they view their mom and dad, is how we are to view you. Father, please forgive us when we have, you know, all of us, myself included, when we've been too short with, with the kids, when we've expected them to come to a church service and sit through an hour-long sermon and, and not get antsy and, and go crazy. When we as adults, we're struggling with that hour. Help us, Lord, when we have unrealistic expectations on children and their parents. Help us to see these as opportunities, not to not to look down on these and why aren't they getting it right, but to encourage them and to love them and to show them that, that, that Jesus is changing us and that Jesus is, is still changing them and, and helping them and we're praying for them and, and bringing them coffee or, or water or just, just giving them a heads up when, they're, when their kids are maybe in a different part of the church and, and are outside of their parents' eye and we can kind of help keep an eye on them and bring them status reports and Make sure they're abreast of what's going on. Help the parents of our church to steward their children well, 
to to we pray for them that that you would give them the strength and and the rest to to do what proverbs 22 says to train up their children so that one day when they become their own people and begin dealing with their own sin and are tempted by the world and and, and satan has a bullseye on them that they would know what to do and they know who to turn to jesus for those that don't have kids or don't have kids here or have kids who are grown up and live in other states and that sort of thing. May, may you give them opportunity to just lift up those who are in need of prayer and, and those kids that just need help, Lord, and those parents that just need help. Help us to be a good example of what it means to follow Jesus. Help us to not join the big group of bad examples. Help us to stay focused on you. And above all, Lord, help us to see your kingdom. Help us to not neglect and and to abuse what a great privilege privilege you've given us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And just before I say amen, Lord, your word says that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten son. I have to believe that you love children so much and yet you still gave up yours for us. That the love that we see that just exudes from your word and that's the very one that you sent to purchase us back. Again, Lord, we're filled with reverence for what you have done for us, both individually and collectively as a church. And we praise you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.